So this is my first time here. So um, I want to get to know you, but I can't go up to each person. So I had this great idea. On the count of three, I'm going to say my name. And then on the count of three, if you all can say your name, I feel like we can connect. Okay, my name is Rashad. And I want to hear your name on the count of three. One, two, three. It is so nice to meet you. And so, um, as Jeremy said, I'm a teacher of scripture, uh, so I want to give you a roadmap since this is your first time hearing me speak. I'm going to talk about the topic of confidence, and I'm going to share with you three aspects of confidence, then I'm going to give you three points to take away, all right? So, we're going to talk about the topic of confidence. I'll give you three aspects or three elements of confidence, and then I'll give you three points that you can... Uh, walk away with. Our primary passage of scripture is found in the book of Hebrews, and we'll be looking at 19 through 39, but we'll start with verse 35. For me, as I was thinking about this being my first time, and if there was one message that I can share, I was thinking about the times that we're in, that while there is some relief uh, from this pandemic, uh, things have not necessarily gone back to normal. And so we are still navigating this space with a sense of uncertainty or, or trying to see how things are going to work out. And I believe the context of this scripture matches our context. Uh, and uh, my one phrase for today, if you said, Pastor Rashad, as I'm navigating the next 18 to 24 months, what, what's your encouragement? What would you tell me to do? And there's one phrase. I would encourage you to find and or protect your confidence. Find and or protect your confidence. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 35 through 36 says, Therefore do not cast away or through not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. Let us pray. Gracious one, the creator of heaven and earth, we pause and turn our attention towards you as we uh, look at your scripture. We pray, God, that you will speak to a word to us individually as a family, as well as a larger community. We thank you for that in advance. In Jesus name we pray. Amen. Amen. So in looking at our primary passage of scripture, the word that stood out to me first and foremost was promise. The Bible is full of promises, uh, and the writer in this text was reminding the audience about promises which come from God. Their context was actually similar to our context. Every scripture has a context, and we have a context. And the magic happens when you can find the intersection of the scripture's context in our context. So in the scripture, they actually was found, they found themselves in a time of transition as well. For them, they, they were new Christians, they were Hebrew Christians, and they experienced what we'd call revival. People were coming to church, lives were being changed and transformed, and they felt like Jesus was going to come back any day. But Jesus didn't come back yet. They found themselves seeing God move, seeing miracle signs and wonders. But as a result, there was also persecution. There was also transition. There was also changes in leadership. And some of the people were responding to the outside pressure and not responding according to what God was doing in their life. 
They found themselves in a season that I think is similar to ours. While we are entering out and we are vaxxed and we have our, you know, great things are happening. There was a phrase I was going to say, but I'm going to keep it to myself. While things are opening up and we are moving out, things are still uncertain. There are still some things that we have questions about. And what this passage tells us is as you are navigating this season, whatever you do, do not throw away your confidence because it has a great reward so that you may walk into the promise. Now here, he's talking to Hebrew Christians. And so they would have known promises in the Old Testament. Promises like, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For he is with me. The promise that regardless what you go through, God will be with you. There's a promise in Jeremiah. I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans to prosper you, to give you a hope, a future, and an expected end. If we go to Romans, it says that all things, how many things? I'll try that again. He says all things. How many things online? All things work together for the good of them who love God and are called according to his purpose. In the book of Isaiah, it says that we'll walk through the water, but it will not overtake us. That we'll go through the fire and we will not be burnt up. He is saying in the middle of uncertainty, in the middle of not really knowing what tomorrow will bring, you need to not throw away your confidence and you need endurance because it will cause you to walk into the promise. Promises are good because they speak to direction. They let me know what I'm moving towards. But the promise is future. So what do I do when my present does not look like the future? What do I do while I'm navigating, while I'm trying to walk into the promise? What is it that I do? And that's where we find ourselves in this particular passage of scripture. His statement is, don't throw away your confidence. Now, what is confidence? If, if confidence is so important, because according to this text, he's saying that the, the key to you making it through this season is your confidence. Don't throw it away. So what is confidence? How do, how do we define confidence? Just because we say the same word doesn't mean that we're talking about the same thing. Now, confidence is not pride. It's not cockiness. It's not arrogance. All those things are rooted in what I can do, in my ability, and in my intellect. So what is confidence? We, we know it when we see it, right? You can see it when somebody's shoulders are rolled back, when they speak with a certain degree of confidence. But what does the Bible say about confidence? According to the Evangelical Bible Dictionary, it says confidence is a multifaceted word within a Christian thought that rain, with a range of aspects. It's faith in God. It's a certainty and assurance of one's relationship with God. It's a sense of boldness that is dependent upon the realization of one's acceptance by God. It's the conviction that one's destiny is secured in God. What he is saying in this text is, I know you may find yourself in seasons where things may not be as clear as you would want them to, but don't throw away your confidence because the reward is found in your confidence. I was talking to somebody uh, and they asked me about, it, it was a leadership podcast, and they said, what's advice that you wish somebody would have gave you about walking into your purpose or walking into your destiny? I said, I wish they would have told me that it would take longer than I thought, 
and it would not feel like what I thought it would feel like. So therefore, enjoy the process. That's the idea behind this scripture is that he's actually saying to us that confidence is the reward. That confidence is the reward that leads us to the key of the promise. Somebody say confidence. So now I've just given you a really long uh, Bible seminary definition of confidence. So we're going to look at the text and point out three aspects of confidence. The three aspects of confidence that we're going to look at today is faith, hope, and love. Faith, hope, and love. As we turn to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19, this is actually where he first mentions confidence. We see here, he says, brothers and sisters, we have the confidence to enter into the most holy place or presence with God. The first place that we get confidence from is not what God will do, but based upon the fact that we have a relationship with God. He's saying that your confidence is rooted in what God has done in your life. That when you said yes to Jesus, your life was changed and transformed. He's telling us as we stand in our present, we should take a moment and turn back and look at our past. I got a question for you. How many people in here love the Lord? All right. How many people remember your life before you knew the Lord? Only a few of you. How many's life was changed and transformed? On the chat, if your life was changed after you said yes to Jesus, type it in the chat. And that's important because what he is saying is, as you stand in your present, you need to be reminded of what God has done in your past, and that becomes the fuel that'll take you into the future God has for you. That our confidence is found in what God did in my life. I used to lie, but I don't lie anymore. I used to cheat, but I don't cheat anymore. I used to be mean and nasty, but now my life has been changed and transformed that people are saying, what's different about you? And you say, it's Jesus. That's the source of our confidence that we don't look to what's happening around us, but I'm looking at the man in the mirror and I see how my life has been changed. And as a result of that, that is where I find confidence It's seeing what God has done in my life. Then he keeps on going and says, so because of what God has done in your life, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart with the full assurance that faith brings, and there's our first word, faith. What is faith? Faith, simply put, is a trust and a reliance upon God. It's recognizing that God is trustworthy. Now, in order for us to have confidence, we got to find faith, but you got to protect your faith against something. What's the opponent of faith? What, what's happening around me that's trying to get me to let go of my faith? Now, I'm not going to ask the question because typically I get a couple of responses and they're not the response I'm necessarily looking for. I'm not going to say it's the right response. Sometimes people say fear and we, we don't need to give into fear. But I believe the opposite of faith is unbelief. If faith is the trust and reliance that God will do what God said God will do, the opposite of that is unbelief. So if I'm going to have my confidence, if I'm going to find and protect my confidence, I got to find and protect my faith, a faith in who God is and what God will do. And I must protect it against unbelief. What is unbelief, Pastor Rashad? I'm glad you asked out there in the back. 
unbelief can creep up when we attempt to ascend to God with our mind in a way that our heart can only do. It's similar to a story uh, in seminary. I'm in seminary and we're talking about the life of Jesus. And we're spending time, the front part, we talked about faith and what it means to have faith in God. And then the second part, we started looking at it from a, a anthropological and um, looking at fossils and, you know, did Jesus, was Jesus in this town, was Jesus in that town? And, and just kind of going through and carbon dating, you know, yeah, I know, I know you're getting bored. So, you know, I won't go into any further detail, but we started trying to prove what Jesus did or did not do from a scientific standpoint. And in seminary, you're encouraged to like talk back to the person. And so we're talking, we're debating back and forth. And somebody said, I don't believe any of this. I said, oh, we're going there today. Class is getting good. The professor said, okay, say more. He said, based upon this carbon footprint and this, this fossil says this, that fossil says that, I don't know if I believe any of this. He said, okay, why did you come to seminary? Well, I came because I felt called to work in a church. He said, okay. And why did you want to work in a church? He says, well, I wanted to work in a church because I want to help people. Why do you want to help people? Well, because somebody helped me. And growing up in a church, people helped me, and I wanted to go back and help people. He said, okay. So what's different now? The student kind of stood there. And like a Jedi master, the professor began to teach. He said, son, Don't confuse faith Jesus with historical Jesus. The purpose of faith Jesus is you have a relationship with God. And when you said yes to Jesus, he changed and transformed your life. And as a result of that relationship with God, you wanted to serve God. And part of being prepared to serve God is coming to seminary. And in being in seminary, you started to learn about historical Jesus. But I think you are now in a position where you're trying to allow historical Jesus to inform faith Jesus, when historical Jesus can never inform faith Jesus. Your faith is not found in a fossil. Your faith is found in a heavenly father who loves you with an everlasting love. I would encourage you, son, to go back and find faith Jesus and not allow unbelief rooted in fossil Jesus to pull you astray. And I bring that up today because unbelief can come in when we think things should happen a certain way or we have a certain logic and things don't work out that way. That we can try to figure out God. We can say, okay, I pay my tithes. I love my neighbor. I'm going to get a spouse. Oh, it's quiet in this church. I pray. I served, I'm going to get a promotion. And while that logic may make sense outside of the kingdom of God, but in the kingdom of God, faith is the currency. And we cannot exchange our faith for what we can do with our mind because that will lead us to unbelief. Protect your faith from unbelief. If you're going to walk into the next season the way God wants you, you got to protect your faith against unbelief. Let's go on to the next thing is hope. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 23, it says, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. What is hope? Hope is a favorable, confident expectation of good. For me, the best idea of hope is Christmas morning. 
when the kid is, is, is going in and knocking on the parent's door to wake them up because they're excited about the gift. There is an anticipation. They may not know what the gift is, but they know there is something good for me under the tree. That is hope. For the believer, part of what we have is hope, the favorable, confident expectation of good, knowing that our God is good. The scripture says, knowing that he who promised is faithful, that the God who promised us is faithful. Numbers 23, 19 says, God is not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should repent. If he said it, it shall come to pass. Our hope is rooted not in what I see, but my hope is rooted in who God is, the testimony of all the saints who've gone before us. In my Baptist tradition, they'll say, baby, he is a doctor in the sick room. He is a lawyer in the courtroom. He may not come when you want him, but he's an on-time God. If we look at the testimony of the people of faith who've gone before us, they would testify to the fact that God is good. That's where we have our hope. Our hope is rooted in who God is, that he who promised is faithful. Not a political system is faithful, not a job is faithful, not even a person can be faithful compared to the God who promised is faithful. And so as the believer, we have this hope, but I said, you got to find and protect it. What are you protecting your hope against? Hope's opponent is Failed expectations. Failed expectations. Y'all, I was married. I was about 33 years old, married, preaching, before I realized that I was struggling with failed expectations. What happened is my wife and I, it was our first year of marriage, and she asked me what did I want for Christmas. I said, I don't want anything. I buy my own gift. She's like, what do you mean you buy your own gift? I said, I'm good. I don't want anything. She said, um... That's weird. <laughs> uh, let me tell you what I want, right? And she'd go on, tell me what she want. And she was, because the year before we were dating and I was trying to impress her. So I didn't tell her I didn't want anything because, you know, I want her to say yes. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but now that it's our money, I was like, I could buy my own gift. And she's like, again, that's weird. So she walked away. And it got me to thinking because I used to be that little boy at Christmas time, excited about my gifts. So why is it now that I don't want anything? Now, part of it is I do like buying my own gifts. But the other part of it was I realized that there was some failed expectations around Christmas. See, I grew up in a single family home. And while one parent was always there, there was another parent who always promised to be there but was never there. And year after year, I had an expectation of that person being there, but they were not there. And the way that I stopped myself from feeling the hurt and the disappointment is I built a wall where there should have been a fence. I started to tell myself I really didn't care when I did care because I was protecting myself against the failed expectation. And it wasn't until I encountered somebody who had a healthy perspective that I began to see what I was wrestling with. We can also see this with John the Baptist. Anybody familiar with John the Baptist? Yes. John the Baptist is the one who baptized Jesus. John the Baptist is Jesus's cousin. He was the one who, when Jesus is walking and saying, that is the son of God. But we find him in Luke 7 in a different situation. John the Baptist hears about what Jesus is doing, and he tells his disciples, go see if he is the one or shall we wait for another? Wait, 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 wait. Pause. Okay, pause. I know I talk fast, so let me slow down. 
John the Baptist, earlier in the book, said Jesus was the son of God. John the Baptist baptized Jesus. But now he's questioning if he's the one. What caused him to question if he's the one? Well, let me remind you in Luke chapter 4 that Jesus said that he came to set the captives free. John was in prison. Jesus said that he came to help the oppressed, those who were poor. John was wrongly accused. I believe John began to question who Jesus was because the testimony of who Jesus was was not evident in his life, so he had questions. If Jesus was going to come see anybody in prison, it was going to be his cousin, but Jesus didn't come. If Jesus was going to set anybody free, it would have been family, but he didn't come. But what John did was instructive. Even though he was questioning and dealing with failed expectations, he didn't let it sit there. He sent his disciples to go ask Jesus, are you the one? It's instructive for some of us who are dealing with failed expectations. I send someone to, or I go to God and say, I give this to God. And, and in verse 22, Jesus responds and says, go tell John what you have seen and heard. So the disciples come and Jesus performs miracles in front of the disciples' face, John's disciples. And he says, go tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have the good news preached to him. In essence, Jesus is saying, go tell John that God is still moving in the earth. And even though his situation did not work out the way he may have thought, that does not mean that God is not moving. He's telling him to shift your perspective from just what's happening in your life and step back and see how God is moving in the earth. See that God is still doing miracle signs and wonders. Can I encourage somebody today? You may have failed expectations or you may be disappointed based upon what's happening in your life, but I want to encourage you to take a zoom back and begin to testify and see that every day new people are coming to Christ. Every day God is still healing people. He's still delivering people, that Catalyst Church is going into the community and serving people and lives are changed and transformed because of your impact. So we must be reminded, we must guard against failed expectations because failed expectations can cause me to have the wrong perspective. Failed expectations can cause me to have the wrong perspective. I gotta, I gotta move, I gotta move. All right, so we're protecting hope against failed expectations. And now the third aspect of confidence that we must find and protect is love. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 through 25, he says, and let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as in a manner that some of some, but exhorting one another and so much more as you see the day approaching. Now, some of you may have some PTSD from this scripture. If you grew up in an old school church, they used to use this scripture to tell you that you need to come to church. Don't forsake the assembling of the people, right? So I'm not going there today, right? Now, you do need to come to church, but you can come to church and still not fulfill the scripture. If we go back to verse 24, it didn't say just come to church. It says that you need to come to church for the purpose of stirring people up to good works. 
Here is this idea of love. It's interesting because in verses 19 through 23, he's been talking about you and your relationship with God. I call it your vertical relationship with God, where it's you and God, right? Faith, hope, you and God. Now he's talking about the horizontal relationship, how you show up around others. Love is not said, love is seen. If you say you love, but you can't show you love, then the question is, is there really love? And so what he's saying is an important part of the confidence is you have to respond according to love. John said it like this. You cannot say that you love a God who you cannot see if you don't love your brother who you see. Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? He said, it's to love the Lord your God with your heart, mind, soul, and strength. The second is equal. Love your neighbor as yourself. I can tell how much you love God, not just by how much you pray, but how you treat your spouse. I can tell how much you love God, not by how you treat the person who can do something good for you, but but, but how you treat the person who can do nothing good for you. What he's saying here is that for us as the Christian, our love must not just be seen from a vertical standpoint, but it must be seen horizontal. It's uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 tells us that we've received the ministry of reconciliation and we need to go give it to others. That God changed and transforms your life just for not just for you to keep it to yourself, but for you to go and testify to the good news so that you can go and testify and help others to walk into the fullness of what God has called you to do and to be. I can preach to you all day. (laughs) And so in looking at this, what do I need to protect my love against? What am I protecting it from? Love's opponent is selfishness. Selfishness. Now, there are two aspects of selfishness. Over here, selfishness is the traditional sense where it's all about me and mine. I want to do that which deals with me. I want to consume, but I don't want to contribute. As long as it makes sense for me, then I'm willing to do it. That, that's one aspect of selfishness. Everybody knows about that aspect of selfishness. But there's another aspect of selfishness that's on this side, which is I am so selfish that which I do, I do for acclamation. I do for affirmation. That when I serve God, I'm not serving God from a place of love, but I'm serving God from a place to be seen. Ooh, it's quiet in this church. That as I serve God, I'm not serving God for the purpose of building the kingdom. I'm serving God because I can get closer to that pretty girl so I can shoot my shot. (laughs) That as I serve God, the purpose is rooted in me. And he's reminding us here today that part of the purpose of love is to change and transform our heart, but to spur us on to good works. That's the reason why on Sunday morning we gather together, not just to worship God, but to also be on a serve team. That as I greet somebody, as I work in kids, as I go out and serve the community, that's me doing my part to spur someone on to good works. There is, I'm going to go off, off tangent for just two sentences. There are aspects of God that you can only encounter when you are being used by God. 
The disciples saw a certain aspect of Jesus because they were walking with him and they were talking with him. There, there are aspects of your relationship with God that can only be grown and developed when you face somebody who has a nasty, bad attitude, but you are, have to remind yourself that I'm serving not unto them, but I'm serving unto God. There, there's a way in which God works that when I commit to serve his kingdom and stuff begins to come up on the inside of me that I don't want to deal with. But because I'm at church, I got to act right. I got to be nice, right? God actually uses that. Let me, let me just talk to you like you lifestyle for a second. Let's just say you and your spouse, you have a problem with your mouth, having an attitude, right? What typically happens is, you say, I'm not going to do it. Then you get into a big blow up and you go do it. The way I see this scripture, if you live in the tension, the nasty attitude comes up in Christian community. But because I'm in church, because I know how I need to act, I don't say it. I actually start working the muscle. And when I come in community, I realize because I'm serving unto God, that God meets me in a service. And now because I got to have a right attitude, I start to give that to God. And week after week, I start to realize the attitude no longer has control over me. So then when I go home and things pop off, I don't have any attitude because as I was serving in the presence of the Lord, God changed and transformed me. And I can now work the muscle over here in my personal life. All right, so now that we've seen the aspects of confidence, three aspects of confidence, faith, hope, and love, and what you have to protect them with, I have three points for you that you can go out and walk in. Three points. Number one is found in uh, 1035. He says, therefore, do not cast away your confidence, which has a great reward. Point number one, protect your confidence. Protect it. If we read this slowly, he says... Do not cast away your confidence, which has a great reward. If you study confidence literature, they'll talk about that there is some confidence that's seen in your thought, and there is some confidence that's seen in action. The confidence that we're talking about is a confidence that is seen in a response, that even though I don't know what's happening around me, I still continue to respond based upon confidence in who God is. The first thing that you must do is protect your confidence. Whatever situation or circumstance you may find yourself in, there may have been papers served to you. You may have recently lost your job. Somebody may have disappointed you. Whatever situation you find yourself in, we can pray with you. We can cry with you. We can worship with you. But whatever you do, protect your confidence. For your confidence in God will lead you to the reward. Point number two, we see it in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 36. He says, for you have need of endurance so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. What is the will of God? Jesus was asked the greatest commandment. The greatest commandment is to, I said it earlier, love the Lord thy God with thy heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love thy neighbor as thyself. What is the will of God? Well, just start by loving God and loving your neighbor. Going back to the passage of scripture. So he says here, you have need of endurance so that after you have done the will of God, you can walk into the promise. Point number two, decide to endure. Decide. 
then I'm going to keep putting one foot in front of the other. Regardless what pressure I face, regardless what resistance I face, I'm going to put one foot in front of the other. There is no plan B, no plan C, or no plan D. I live for God, and I will continue to live for God. In the midst of disappointment, I will still serve God. In the midst of heartache, I will still serve God. Because Scripture says that if you endure, you will walk into the promise. And then point number three, we see in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 39, it says, for we are not those who draw back to perdition, but to those who believe to the saving of our soul. Point number three is focus on the principal promise. The way I see scripture is that there are promises which are subjective and there are promises which are objective or, or principal promises. The principal promises for me are promises like God will be with us. That regardless what situation or circumstance I find myself in, God will be there. It's the promise of hope, the promise of peace, that even if there is chaos in my life, peace is a promise that I have access to. And in this point, it's focus on the principal promise, the promise that God has saved your soul. It's 3 John 2. Beloved, I wish above all things that you will prosper and be in good health, even as your soul prospers and is in good health. It's this idea that the most important thing is, how's my soul? That even though I may face situations and circumstances, I can control how my soul is doing. That I can control how I'm doing in the area of love, in the area of hope, in the area of peace. Why? Because he who promised is faithful. Going back to this context, and as I close, this book was written to Hebrew Christians. So they would have had an Old Testament understanding of who God was. And so as I'm encouraging you today to find and protect your confidence, I think it'll be encouraging or it'll provide perspective if we are reminded of the God in whom we have confidence in. If we look at Genesis chapter 17, we see here that Jesus, I mean, I'm sorry, that God is talking to Abraham. And this is the invitation to come into covenant. Now, remember, Abraham is the father of faith. And so the, the relationship that Abraham entered into, we have the ability to enter into that same relationship. And God showed up to Abraham and he says, I am God almighty. Walk before me faithfully and blamelessly. In that he is saying that I will be your God and you will be my people. As I studied this topic, we see here that one of the theologians said this is the first and fundamental promise. Indeed, it is a life and the soul of all promises. God is saying, I am El Shaddai is the word that he used there for almighty. El Shaddai, all sufficient all sustaining, that in me there is everything that is needed and I have need of nothing outside of me. El Shaddai, E-L-S-H-A-D-D-A-I. My niece says El Shaddai. So in that today, the invitation for you is to have confidence in El Shaddai. Uh, one theologian summarized it like this, that by God extending an invitation for us to trust in him as El Shaddai, he is saying all of who I am, you have access to. He's saying that my grace shall be yours to pardon you. That when you have confidence in who I am as El Shaddai, my power is yours to protect you. That when you say yes and you have confidence in the God who is El Shaddai, he says, my wisdom will be yours to direct you. My goodness 
shall be yours to relieve you. My mercy shall be yours to supply you. And my glory shall be yours to crown you. That today, as we close out, I want to encourage you to find and protect your confidence in God. That we've all gone through situations and circumstances over the past 12 to 15 months, but don't allow that to dictate how you show up in the world. But be reminded of the God who created heaven and earth, loves you with an everlasting love. He loves you with an eternal love. And the promise is not that situations and circumstances will uh, not be bad or that things may not show up that may disappoint you. That's not the promise. The promise is that when things don't work out, God is still with you. That whether you find yourself on a mountain or if you find yourself in a valley, God is with you. Whether you are standing on a mountaintop saying God is good or whether you are in your deepest valley right now, the promise is that God is with you and that he has saved your soul. So I want to encourage you today. We're going to get ready to pray. And I want to pray over those three things that are trying to come against your confidence. Because while I don't know what your tomorrow brings, I do know God has good for you. There is still a plan and a purpose and a destiny that God has called you to. But the only way you're going to walk into the purpose, the only way you're going to impact that community is you have to have confidence in God. So I'm first going to pray against those three things, and then I'll give an invitation for anybody who wants to accept Christ. Gracious one, the creator of heaven and earth, El Shaddai, we turn our attention towards you, and we thank you. Thank you for being with us in this moment. Thank you for reminding us that, yea, though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we shall fear no evil because you are with us. And God, as we are finding and protecting our confidence, perhaps some of us may have found ourselves where my faith has been exchanged for unbelief. Like the disciple who said, Lord, we believe, but help our unbelief. If there are any areas of our life in which we've allowed unbelief to come in, we lay that before you right now. God, as we begin to look at this area of hope, if there are failed expectations, if there are disappointments from people that we love and people that we trust, God, we give that to you. Similar to John the Baptist, we come to you. And we say, are you the one or shall we look for another? And your response is, yes, I am the one. That yes, I'm with you. And God, we thank you for the healing power, the, the forgiving power for touching our lives right now. And for those of us who are wrestling with uh, selfishness, where perhaps we forget that we live for you, or perhaps we tried trusting and somebody took advantage of us or, or violated our trust. Today, God, we say our trust is in you and that we respond in love, not based upon a response of a person, but as a response to who you are. God, I pray for everybody under the sound of my voice for a fresh baptism of confidence, a confidence that is rooted in you, a confidence of knowing the God of the Bible, the God who, who has remained the same yesterday, today, and forevermore is on our side. Give each person here today a fresh baptism of confidence. Now, there are some people today who your next step needs to be 
to enter into a relationship with Jesus. Scripture says in Romans that if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus uh, died for your sins and was raised from the grave, that you have the ability to be accepted into the kingdom of God. And so today, I'd like to provide an opportunity for you to come into the kingdom. Uh, what we'd like to first do is everyone, every head bow and every eye close, pause for a moment. And if you feel as though God is calling you to come into a relationship with him, if you feel as though there was a stirring and perhaps you were in a relationship and you're no longer in a relationship, if you're in the room, I want you to raise your hand and say, yes, I want to come into a relationship with Jesus. I want to rededicate my life to God. You who are online, you can raise your hand right where you are for God sees. For all those who want to accept Jesus, first of all, I want to say congratulations on making the best decision that you can make. And I want to lead you through a prayer. The prayer does not change you. It just opens you up to receiving what God has for you. And then we'll have some next steps. I want you to say, dear Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I realize you died for my sins and you've given me an invitation to come into a relationship with you. So right now I turn from my sins and I accept you as Lord and Savior. From this day forward, I will live a life that praises and honors you. In your name I pray. Amen. Scripture says that heaven rejoices over one. So why don't you celebrate with me those who made that decision and protect your confidence.